Please turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verse 14 this evening. The Word of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we praise You, we honor, and we glorify You, the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask, O Lord, that You might turn our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Word made flesh this evening, that we might behold His glory the glory of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Bless our worship this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. The inspired Apostle John opens his gospel by writing of the glory of the triune God. Here we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And as this word was with God and was God, we know that He is truly God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, our Lord and our God. From eternity past, the Lord Jesus was with God the Father and with God the Spirit. He was with God and He was God. And in this glory of triune fellowship, we also read that He was God the Creator. Through Him all things came into being. There is nothing that has been made that did not have its origin in Him. This is the nature of the glorious God whom we serve, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was present in the beginning, in unapproachable light, in perfect bliss and unfathomable joy in the perfection of the triune fellowship of the Godhead. In Him was life, and life abundant. And this life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And then John notes that this true light, which brings light to everyone, came into the world, and the world did not know Him. But to those who believed in Him, He gave the right to become children of God who were born of God. And then John turns in verse 14 to give a glorious description of the incarnation of the Son of God. He writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is the first great point of this text. The Word became flesh. John begins with a majestic assertion that the Word became flesh. The same one who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God, the same one through whom all things were made, and apart from whom nothing has been made, is the very same one who became flesh. And this is the glorious truth of the Incarnation. 
God the Son was manifest in the flesh, and God became man. Now the meaning of this phrase, the Word became flesh, was debated for a long time in the early church. Some have understood this phrase to mean that the, worse, that the Word ceased to be what He was. That He ceased being God and became merely man. They believed that the Word was changed into flesh so that He was no longer divine, but was only human. And this is not what this text means. This is not what this text says. God did not, God the Son did not ever cease being infinite, omniscient, omnipotent, eternal, and immutable. God cannot cease being God, and the Lord Jesus did not cease being God in the incarnation. But what this phrase, the Word became flesh, does mean is that the Word continued to be what He was, and He also became what He was not. It means that the Word, while continuing to remain fully divine, yet also became fully human, such that the Word then possessed two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. He was fully God and fully man in one person. And this is what this text teaches. This is what this verse says. The Word became flesh without ceasing to be the Word. He became fully man without ceasing to be fully God. In the incarnation, God the Son became fully man while remaining fully God. And thus, in saying the Word became flesh, what John is saying is that God became man. God the Son became a human. He united to Himself a human nature such that forevermore He became... God and man in one person. And in this we have our salvation. In this we have our hope. God is not forever separated from His creation, but He has joined Himself to it in the incarnation. In the incarnation, God became man and united Himself with His people forever. No other religion, no other philosophy has anything approaching this grand mystery. God became man. And the Christian faith is built upon the fact that the transcendent, almighty God took to himself a human nature and became in one person God and man. And this is the great truth of the incarnation of the person of Jesus Christ. In the incarnation, the Word became flesh. God became man. And we see this truth attested to throughout the New Testament. Paul, writing in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 7, states that Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The Lord Jesus emptied himself by becoming flesh, by becoming man, and being born in the likeness of men. Likewise, Paul also notes in 1 Timothy 3.16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, 
vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when God was manifest in the flesh, is called the great mystery of godliness. This is the great and profound mystery in which God's glory is displayed. And in Romans 1 and 9, Paul explains how God was manifest in the flesh such that He was descended from the people of Israel. His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 1, verses 3 and 4. And in Romans 9, verse 5, speaking of the Jews, he writes, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Throughout the New Testament, we see the truth that God the Son was manifest in human flesh. That God, who is over all, blessed forever, God the Son, was born in human flesh from the lineage of David, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Judah. In Jesus Christ, God became man. And in this we see the magnificent condescension of God in coming down, in becoming manifest among men. God the Son assumed our very nature, which is so far beneath the divine nature, to Himself. From the position of highest authority in the universe, that of God the Creator, He condescended to take to Himself the nature of a creature. He took a nature that was less than His own. And in this act, God became united with His creation. In the person of Jesus, we see the Creator and the creation united. And as Jesus was truly and genuinely God, so also was He truly and genuinely man. He did not merely appear to be human. He truly was human in all points as we are. He was made like us in every respect, as we read in Hebrews 2, verse 17. He bled, He wept, He was in pain, He hungered, He had compassion, He was weary, He became angry. Every true human emotion that can be felt, he knew fully. He was like us in all points, save one, that he alone was without sin. As we read in Hebrews 4, he is the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The word became fully and truly human. He knew our very life because He took it unto Himself. Thus, He was fully God and fully man in one glorious person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then John states that He dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is the second great point of this text. God dwelt among us in human flesh. God was manifest in the flesh such that God dwelt among men. God walked with men. God talked with men. 
men could look at the man Jesus and say, there is God. They could see his face. God dwelt among men. Now the word here for dwelt is the word for pitching his tent or making his tabernacle. And this is reminiscent of Israel's sojourn in the wilderness. When the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, God dwelt among them in the tabernacle. We read in Exodus 25 God's command for the Israelites to build the tabernacle according to his word. Where he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. The tabernacle was the place where God dwelt with his people. The tabernacle, the sanctuary, was built so that God could dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. And so also did God become incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ so that he could dwell in the midst of his people upon the earth. Just as God dwelt in the tabernacle of old with his people Israel, so now does he tabernacle in human flesh among his redeemed. Christ came so that God would dwell perpetually with his people. When God the Son became incarnate, he dwelt with his people in such a way that he would never leave them or be separate from them. The incarnation of Christ means for us the glorious truth that God has his presence among us. As we read in Matthew 1, verse 23, speaking of the birth of Christ, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us forever in Christ Jesus. And as he has dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. And this is the third great point of this text. In Christ, we beheld the very glory of God. In the incarnation, the glory of God was manifest as it had never been elsewhere. In Christ, we see the very character and nature of God in his glory. Because we see the one who is himself, the Lord God. When God gave the law to his people Israel, he came to them in clouds of glory. We read in Exodus 24, verses 16 and 17, The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. When the Lord dwelt with his people Israel, he was surrounded by clouds and fire. His glory was hidden. But when Moses asked for a direct view of the glory of God, he was forbidden it. In Exodus 33, Moses asked the Lord, please show me your glory. And the Lord responded, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Moses the great mediator of the Old Covenant, could not see the full glory of God. Israel could not behold the full glory of God, but was permitted to see only glory surrounded and hidden by clouds and flame. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, we behold the glory of God. 
In Christ, we see the true nature of God, the true character of God. In Christ, we behold the very face of God. God's glory is revealed in the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus was manifest in the flesh, God's glory was manifest in human form. The Lord Jesus truly possesses in himself the very glory of God. In James 2, verse 1, we read that the Lord Jesus is called the glory. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory. And this is a reference to the glory of God. The Lord Jesus possesses the very divine glory, the very glory that Moses and the people of Israel were not permitted to behold directly. And thus we must ask, what is the nature of this glory? What is the glory of Christ that we see in him? And the answer is that it is the glory of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the fourth point of this text. The glory of Christ was the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father. Jesus Christ is the Word, the image of God, the one who reveals who God the Father is. Now, what does this mean, only begotten? What does it mean when we say the glory of the only begotten of the Father? What this means is that from eternity, God the Son was always the Son of the Father. And the Father was always the Father of the Son. For Him to be eternally begotten meant that He was always reflecting fully the nature of God the Father. He was always reflecting the full holiness of His Father. He was always reflecting the full love of God the Father. Just as a human son reflects the nature of his father in many ways, such that we say he is the very image of his father, or the spitting image of his father, so also does Christ reflect the nature of God his father fully, completely, and perfectly. And this he did from all of eternity. He was God the Son, eternally reflecting the divine glory of God the Father. And this, is, this same truth is what we see elsewhere in the New Testament when it calls Christ the image of God. Paul notes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the gospel demonstrates the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And in Colossians 1, verse 15, we read that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It's the same thing here as only begotten. What these mean is that whoever sees Jesus, the image of God, sees God the Father, sees God himself. Whoever beholds Christ, beholds God. And this is what Jesus told Philip in John 14, verse 8. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And this is what it means for him to be only begotten. He is always reflecting the full divine glory of God the Father in the bond of the Holy Spirit. And thus, in the Lord Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, 
we behold the very character, the very nature of God. We see the love of God fully in him. We see the holiness of God fully in him. We see the wisdom of God manifest in Jesus. The entirety of the divine nature, of the divine character, is present in the Lord Jesus. Just to demonstrate one example, we see the love of God demonstrated in Christ greater than in anywhere else. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In Christ, we see God's love. It is revealed greater in him than in anywhere else. And the point of all of this has been to say that the only begotten Son reveals the whole character of God. Jesus truly reveals who God is. His gracious, merciful, holy, and just character. And for this reason, John states that Christ is full of grace and truth. And this is the fifth point of this text. Christ displays the character of God as the one who is full of grace and truth. Now this phrase, grace and truth, is a translation of the Hebrew phrase, hesed and emet, which is often translated as steadfast love and faithfulness. And this phrase we see throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 24, Abraham's servant prayed that the Lord might demonstrate his steadfast love and faithfulness by providing a wife for Isaac. When Jacob prepared to meet his brother Esau, in great fear, in Genesis 32, he remembered the steadfast love and faithfulness of God that had already been demonstrated to him. And when the Lord did reveal himself to Moses, he proclaimed himself as one who was abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This phrase, chesed and imed, steadfast love and faithfulness, grace and truth, was a revelation of the character and nature of Almighty God. And this here, this grace and truth, is revealed in the person of our Lord Jesus, greater than in anywhere else. In the Old Covenant, God revealed that He was one who was full of steadfast love and faithfulness. But in Christ, we see that fully revealed as he manifests the grace and truth of God. In Christ, we behold the very character of the God who graciously condescends to bring salvation to pitiful sinners. The character of the God who keeps his covenant promises to his people. Before, we saw shadows of God's character surrounded by clouds and flame. But in the Word made flesh, we see the character of God clearly revealed as He graciously brings salvation in Christ. Before, God delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt. But Christ has delivered us from bondage to sin and death itself. Before, God made a promise to His people, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And in Christ, we see that promise fulfilled as in nowhere else, 
as God himself comes to dwell among us, to be our God with his people. The very great truth that we see in this verse is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who displays the fullness of God's glory. In him we see God. In him we behold the very glory of God. In him we see the fullness of the divine majesty displayed. The fullness of God's gracious and merciful character. And we see it as he condescends to come and dwell among us. As God is manifest in human flesh. And we behold this glory in no other place more than at the cross. God the Son was manifest in human flesh so that he might go to the cross and suffer for the sins of his people. He was born to die for sins, and he was born to die for our sins. How great is it that God was manifest in the flesh so he might die for his people and redeem them to God? In the cross of Christ, we see God's gracious character as our Lord died for our sins. In the cross, we see the wrath of God as Christ took upon himself the great punishment that our sins deserved. And thus we see both the holiness and the love of God, the fullness of God's character and nature, manifest in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. How wonderful is this? We serve a God who is not remote, but one who has become one with us. We do not serve a God who is inaccessible, but we serve a God who is transcendent and who has manifest himself in our very nature. Any struggle, any difficulty that we know, he has taken upon himself. Every trial, every tribulation that humanity knows, God the Son also knows by personal experience because he has undergone it. What a great and glorious Lord we serve. And thus to you who trust in him, I say, look to Christ. Look to the word made flesh. Look to the very God who has taken upon himself your nature and died for your sins. And look to the word who became flesh, who knew your every temptation, every struggle, every trial, and who overcame them all. The one who was without sin. Look to the one who went to the cross and died for your sins so that you might never have to suffer for them, ever. Look to your glorious Lord, for in him alone will you see the face of God. In him alone will you know the Father. Look to Christ and behold your God. And to you who do not know him, I urge you, look to him for your salvation. Are the cares of this life too great for you? Look to Christ and believe in him. Is the weight of your guilt too mighty for you to bear? Then look to the one who bore guilt upon the cross. 
Look to the one who became incarnate and bore the sins of men. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, and trust in Him for your salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. And thus to all I say, look to Christ, the Word made flesh, the Savior and Lord of men, and let our confession be the same as Thomas, my Lord and my God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, our triune Lord, we pray that you would reveal to us who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, he might illumine the pages of your word, that we might behold him there. Heavenly Father, we pray that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we might truly know your love and have true fellowship and communion with you. Lead us to you, O Lord God. Let us love you and let us worship you in spirit and in truth, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.